Welcome back to Lost Touch Channel. My name is Anton Vjeldsen. I'm an attorney in the Southern District of California here in San Diego. If you've ever been on a plane, you might have went through the TSA checkpoint where the officers checked and maybe even passed your luggage through an x-ray machine. And if you're living in this century, all of that must have happened. But what about a situation where later on an employee of the airline decides to shake your luggage suspects that there's drugs inside and even though that's not in his job description he opens up the package finds drugs inside and calls the police if you're charged with drug possession can you later claim that the fourth amendment was violated the one that protects you against unreasonable searches and seizures or is this a situation of a private search doctrine meaning that this was a private actor and thus the Fourth Amendment doesn't protect you. Before we go on and discuss this case, I wanna thank you for watching me on YouTube. Please hit that subscribe button. If you're listening to the podcast version of this recording on Audible or Spotify, please give my podcast a five-star re-rating. And finally, if you wanna support this channel, consider going to lostash.com and check out some of my merch, including the Do Not Arrest This Person t-shirts. Thanks for watching. Quick message from Lostash. Are you charged with a crime? Or do you want to know your rights if stopped by police? Watch California attorney Anton Vjeldsen discuss legal cases from the Supreme Court, Ninth Circuit, and California State Courts on the Lost Dash YouTube page. Anton has handled hundreds of federal and state criminal cases, has an in-depth knowledge of the law, and has the best mustache ever. Subscribe to the Lost Dash YouTube page. That's L-A-W-S-T-A-C-H-E. Today we're discussing United States versus Walter which is a Ninth Circuit case and it deals with a private search doctrine. A woman's overnight suitcase arrives to an international airport in Seattle and is received by the Western Airlines baggaging claim. There, an employee of the Western Airlines named Hank Rivert takes the package. He sees that it's being addressed to somebody in Washington. This is what's quote-unquote called a speed pack essentially a packaging that's being mailed through the airlines. The package originates in San Diego, has a final destination in Washington, and is now stuck here in Seattle. Hank takes the package, shakes it, and finds it suspicious. It is kind of light, and when he shakes it, nothing rattles inside. He believes that there may be drugs inside, because it's also very well packaged with a lot of tape over it. So Hank, being Hank, he decides to cut the packaging, open it up, and inside he finds a white powder. He calls the DEA, the agents arrive, they field test the substance and find out that it's cocaine. They then go ahead and replace the drugs with sugar, repackage the suitcase, and send it to the final destination in Washington. There, Miss Walther receives the package and is later arrested in the parking garage. She's charged with being a distributor of narcotics, namely possession with intent to distribute. She later claims that the drugs were found in violation of her Fourth Amendment rights. Interestingly enough, this is not the first time that Hank is working with the DEA. The disclosure of the contents of Walther's overnight case was not Rivers' first contact with the DEA. 
the DA in fact maintained a confidential informant file on Rivert, which relates mainly to his reporting suspicious individuals fitting the drug profile while working at the ticket counter. Over the past years, he provided information on at least 11 individuals and he received a payment between $25 to $250 per each information piece. And in total, he received $800. Just a side note, this case is from 1970s. So the amount of money, considering the inflation that we're seeing today, that's a significant amount of money. He also later testified that he opened approximately 10 speed packs in the past and had frequently discovered illegal drugs. Also, during the testimony in the lower court, the DA have never discouraged him from doing so, from opening speed packs. And according to the testimony of one agent, they would have paid him had he ever discovered significant amount of drugs. Following a suppression motion at the lower court level, the court found that Rivert opened the speed pack and summoned DA agents. He was acting as an instrument or an agent of the DA. Rivert was not carrying out a business purpose of his employer. Like I said earlier in the introduction, this was not in his job description to open up packages and search for drugs. His sole reason for being suspicious that the case contained illegal drugs, that is the sole reason why he opened the package. Opened the case with the expectation that he would be compensated by the DA because in fact he has been compensated in the past. The sole question before the appellate court is whether the Fourth Amendment applies and protects Ms. Walther against the unreasonable search by Hank and the airlines or whether this is a private search that Hank conducted. And to answer that question, we need to figure out if Hank is working for the DEA, meaning under the law, is he an agent or the instrument of the DEA, or is he conducting a private search? Remember, the Fourth Amendment protects against unreasonable searches and seizures. A wrongful search or seizure by a private party, however, does not violate the Fourth Amendment. However, where a private party acts as an instrument or agent of the state in effecting a search or seizure, Fourth Amendment interests are implicated. Further, the government must be involved either directly as a participant or indirectly as an encourager of the private citizen's actions before we deem the citizen to be an instrument of the state. The court then proceeds to look at other cases that dealt with airlines and potential private searches. The presence of law enforcement officers who do not take an active role in encouraging or assisting an otherwise private search has been held insufficient to implicate Fourth Amendment interests, especially where the private party has had a legitimate independent motivation for conducting the search. In United States v. Gomez, this court ruled that the opening of a suitcase by an airline employee, which apparently had been misplaced, was a private search even though a county detective physically carried the suitcase to the employee's working area because of the airline's legitimate interest in identifying the owner of the luggage. See, in this case, 
the airline has an interest in trying to figure out who this luggage belongs to. Thus, this is a private search. In the same vein, in United States versus Humphrey, wherein the airline's interest in preventing fraudulent loss claims rendered an employee's search of an obviously damaged package private, even though a police officer had suggested prior to the search that it would be a good idea to open the package. So again, we're seeing a second case here. Because the package is damaged, they're interested in trying to figure out who it belongs to. A search by a freight carrier, however, may be classified as a governmental intrusion where the carrier's employee engaged in a search for the sole purpose of assisting the government. So here, the differences in the third case is that the carrier did not have any interest in opening the package. Instead, the only thing they were trying to do is help the government. By looking at these other cases, it becomes clear that when we're trying to determine whether Hank was an instrument or an agent of the DEA, there are two critical factors. Number one, the government's knowledge and acquiescence. And the second factor, the intent of the party performing the search. So let's take a look at some of the factors that were determinative in this case. Hank testified that he believed that a federal regulation gave the airlines the right to open any piece of luggage consigned to them for shipping. Now, that's very well true. It's like the TSA search, right? You have an individual whose duty it is to search the luggage. And in fact, every time you pass through it, that would be deemed a governmental search. But he also testified that the only reason why he opened the case was his suspicion that it contained illegal drugs. He opened the case with the expectation of probable reward from the DEA. Hank acknowledged that there were no reasons that he should not expect a reward. And a testimony of the DEA agent established that it would be reasonable for him to have such an expectation. So here again, these are not his duties to open up packaging and to open up luggage. His sole reason for opening up this package was because he was expecting some reward. And in fact, from his prior experience with the DEA, provides proof the government acquiescence of the search. Here, not only did the DEA agree to the search, they encouraged it with prior experience with all the times in the past that Hank provided information or opened up speed packs. And so you have this agreement, unwritten one per se, from the government, but you also have an expectation from Hank that he would receive some sort of reward. It can certainly be said that he was encouraged to engage in this type of search. Hank has been rewarded for providing drug-related information in the past, and thus the DEA had knowledge of a particular pattern of search activity dealing with a specific category of cargo and the acquiescence in such activity. Looking at all of these factors, we can see that the two critical factors are satisfied. You have an agreement from the DEA, and you have intense slash motivation from Hank to essentially work for the DEA. He's not performing his natural duties by working at the airlines.
So what are the takeaways from this case? I think it's best summarized by the court itself in the last two lines of the opinion. We do not, by this opinion, diminish the duty of any private citizen to report possible criminal activity, nor do we frown upon use of paid informants. We merely hold that the government cannot knowingly acquiesce in and encourage directly or indirectly a private citizen to engage in activity which it is prohibited from pursuing, where that citizen has no motivation other than the expectation of reward for his or her efforts. So in this case, this was in fact a governmental search and thus the Fourth Amendment protects Ms. Walther from this search by Hank. If you've learned a little bit more about the private search doctrine, I hope you enjoyed this video. I hope you give it a thumbs up. And a quick side note, if you like the Fourth Amendment, if you're interested in the topic, I will tell you that the very first question you should always ask before we go on and discuss the Fourth Amendment and try to evaluate the search is whether that search is conducted by the government. The Fourth Amendment only protects you against governmental intrusions. So before we go on and discuss reasonable expectation of privacy or whether any of the exceptions apply that I've discussed on this channel, the very first thing always is to ask yourself, is this a search by the government or is this a private search? In this case, the court made a decision that even though the DA did not know at that particular moment that Hank was going to open up that package, because of the experience in the past and because the only reason Hank opened that package was to get the reward, to get the money, this was in fact a governmental search. And so the Fourth Amendment did in fact apply. I hope you liked this video. Give it a thumbs up. Please subscribe to my channel. Please share it with your friends and family. If you're listening to the podcast version of this recording on Audible or Spotify, please give my podcast a five-star re-rating. And finally, if you want to support this channel, consider going to lostash.com and check out some of my merch. Thanks for watching.